I want you to take your Bibles if you've got them. I want you to turn with me to John chapter 4, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, fourth book in the New Testament. All right, there we go. We got the lights up because I want you to read in your Bible to see if I'm telling the truth. What a wonderful name he is. We love Jesus. The fellow was at the piano leading us in worship this morning. His name's Richie Kingsmore. His wife, Gina, was beside him. And they've come to help us with worship. They love God passionately. They love you already. And they're going to lead us to worship Jesus so that he is glorified. And we are thankful, thankful to have him with us. All righty. We're going to pretend something this morning. We're going to pretend. We're going to talk about first things first. And we're going to pretend this is my first Sunday with you. We're going to pretend we are starting today. We just, all of us, let's all just pretend this is the first church service we've ever been in our lives. Let's just pretend. And if that's the case, what's the first thing you talk about? If I'm supposed to talk to you about this great God, what's the first thing I'd talk to you about? This is so easy. What is man's first response to God when he first sees him? When they saw him, they worshiped him. So we're going to talk about worship. And we're going to spend several weeks and we're going to learn how to worship from Scripture. This is my favorite subject in the earth. I love to talk about worship. I, people call me preacher. Hey, preacher once in a while. That's fine. I don't fuss. I'm not a preacher first. I am a worshiper first. I live to worship. I'm a husband and a father second. I'm a friend third. I'm an outdoorsman fourth. And then I'm a pastor somewhere down the line. But I am a worshiper first. And you're going to see why. In this great passage, we're going to talk about worship. And we get done today, I'm going to ask you this question. As you're going to see here, are you a worshiper? I'm going to ask you, do you worship? And we're going to talk about this. All right, this is the premier, I think it's the premier verse on worship in the Bible. In John chapter 4, let's read what Jesus has to say about worship. John chapter 4. Do I need to say that I love this passage? John chapter 4. Verse 23, the hour is coming and now is. What are we talking about here right now? If he says now is, that means now. The hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. All righty. <clears throat> The Bible says, I don't know if you're familiar with it or aware of this or not. In the Bible, we see people seeking many things from God. People seek eternal life. The young man asked, what must I do to live forever? People seek relationships. They seek healing. They seek provision. A lot of people go to God seeking a lot of different things. Think about this. You only find God seeking two things in the Bible. What's the only two things in the Bible that God seeks? Well, number one is in Luke chapter 10, where the Bible said this. Jesus said, the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Luke chapter 15, if a man has a hundred sheep and loses one, will he not leave the 99 in the wilderness and seek the one that's lost till he finds it? The one thing God is seeking, he's seeking to bring people in relationship to himself. He's seeking to bring people to himself. But what's the other only thing in the Bible you see God seeking? Let's read it. Verse 23, the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking people to worship him. What's God seeking? 
to bring people into relationship with himself. And he's seeking to make people worshipers. He's seeking people that will worship him. That's the only two things you find him in the Bible seeking. So we're going to talk about worshipers today. And I'll just say this before we get cranked up. There's nothing that will affect you more than to become a worshiper of God scripturally. All right. Before we look at what at worship, I got to I got to help you with something here. We got to learn something quickly. There's a phrase Jesus used that identifies something. Let's read verse 23 again. But the hour is coming and now is when the what? True worshipers. All right. If he says true worshipers, what does that imply? Then there's some false worship. But he says we got to have true worshipers. Now, I won't take time on this, but it's important that you learn this. Um, there's much in the Bible about false worship. It's actually called vain worship. All right, God became a man and walked on this earth. Jesus walked on the earth one day. What did he say about the worship services that were taking place when he walked on the earth? Remember what he said about them? Mark chapter seven, Jesus said this, in vain do they worship me. This people worships me with their lips their hearts are far from me. Vain is the word foolish, frivolous, waste. Jesus said, you, you ready? He said, you're wasting your time going to church. In vain do they worship me. So there's vain worship. Isaiah chapter 58, the Bible says this, is this a worship I have desired that you would come in and bow down your head like a bulrush while you strike with the fist and strive? Do you hear what he's saying? Don't come into this church and praise me while you're hating people that are outside. Isaiah chapter 66, he said, those who refuse to repent and worship me is as if a man should pour pig's blood on my altar. So it's not about just going to church and doing whatever we do. And by the way, guess what this is called this morning? So I know what this is called. This is called a worship service. So if somebody asks you tomorrow, say, well, what did you do yesterday morning? We went to the race. What did you do? We went to worship service. You went to what? Worship service. And they say to you, what's worship? What would you tell them? So that's where a man gets up there and fusses at us. And, Is that worship? All right, so there's a, there's a vain worship, a false worship. Um, <clears throat> but the Bible said true worshipers. Well, then if there's a true worship, we need to find out what true worship is. I don't want to get before and find out I've vain worshiped. I want to stand before him having worshiped the Father in spirit and truth. All right, this is so simple. True worship is seen in the Bible. And it's, I, I love this. I love it, love it so much. True worship is just so simple. I want you to look at a passage, the true picture of true worship. Turn back one book to Luke chapter 17. I think this is the great, one of the great passages that shows us the simplicity of what true worship is. And again, it is so simple. True worship falls down to three things. This is the passage. I, I think perhaps I've learned more about worship from this passage than any other place. All right, Luke chapter 17, something happens in the life of Jesus where he defines <clears throat> true worship that he wants. Luke 17, verse 11. It happened as Jesus went to Jerusalem. He passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. He entered a certain village. There were uh, 10 men, with met him 10 men who were lepers. They stood afar off, got it? Now, leprosy is external cancer. What cancer does to your inside, leprosy does to your outside. It's contagious. And it eats your fingers away, it eats your nose. It's a slow, horrible, painful death. 
and it's contagious, so you have to be isolated. That's why they were far off. And your family might come throw you food, but you can't go home because it's contagious. It's a horrible way to live. It's been eradicated in most places. They still have it in India today. But you got these men, they're lepers. And Jesus walks by them. <clears throat> Watch what happens. Verse 13, they lifted their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Why'd they do that? This man wasn't a certified preacher. He didn't wear the preacher robe of that day. He's just a carpenter. Why'd they do that? Because faith comes by hearing and they had heard what this man could do. So they cry out to him, help us, help us. And uh, they cry out to Jesus in their leprosy. And verse uh, 14, so when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priest. And that didn't make a lick of sense. He said, you know, if, we, if the priest could have helped us, he'd have done it. But see, if you'd have lived back then, you'd have known a man that's a leper a woman's a leper, if by some chance they think they don't have leprosy anymore, the law said the first thing you have to do is go see the priest and let him examine your body. And if he declares you're free from leprosy, then you can go home to your family. So when Jesus said, hey, go show yourself to the priest, they knew something then. Faith rose up. All right, watch what happens. There's always a step of faith. It was as they went, they were healed or cleansed. They, they, got, they began to walk toward the priest's uh, temple. And as they walked, all of a sudden one looked down and said, look, look, my fingers are back. Look, the white stuff is gone. And they looked down and they're healed. And maybe know that's good right there. All right, this is where we get into the worship part. <clears throat> They've been healed. All right, verse 15 says this. One of them, when he saw he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God. He goes back to Jesus. And he starts glorifying God and fell down on his face at his feet, doing what? Giving thanks to Jesus for what he had done for him. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, were there not 10 healed? Where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to do what? Give glory to God, except this foreigner. And he said to the man, you arise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. That's worship right there. You find every truth there is about worship in this passage right here. Three simple truths about worship. I want to see if you and me do it. Let's apply it to our lives from scripture. Number one, the first truth about worship is this. Worship begins by recognizing the kindness of God to me. Worship doesn't start with the music. Worship doesn't start with a set time on Sunday morning. Where'd this man's worship begin? God has done something for me. Worship always begins recognizing the kindness of God toward me. Let me tell you something. I am one blessed man. I have no business being alive at this age. After the way I lived when I was a young man, God has been good to me. He has blessed me every way you can. Worship doesn't begin liking a certain style of music. That's called liking a certain style of music. <laughs> Worship begins when you realize God has done something for me. It always starts recognizing God is good. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good. Worship always begins when you realize God has done something for me. That's where it always starts. Now I'm going to tell you something about every person in this room and every person you'll ever meet. Worship is an attitude. It begins with an attitude. And every person in this room has one of two attitudes. Everybody's got one of two attitudes and it boils down to one of these two. You either have an attitude of grace or you have an attitude of entitlement. It's either grace or it's entitlement. 
And I'm fixing to show you the difference between the two and then I'm going to ask you which one you have. Turn with me to James chapter 1. You cannot worship God in spirit and truth until you have an attitude of grace. James chapter 1 is a simple truth. This is where worship begins. You can't know God. You can't walk with God. I don't think you can go to heaven until you receive this attitude. I mean, I know attitudes are very important to him. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. That's 1 Samuel. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. Somebody can stand up on a stage and they can sing a beautiful worship song and you may be impressed with their voice and their emotions and their skill, but God saw the heart was really wanting to point to them. Somebody can stand up with not that great a voice, can't hold, in, hold it in tune, doesn't sound all that good, but God sees a heart that wants to say thank you to him. It's all about the heart. It's not about the voice. It's not about the place. I want you to look at a verse with me in James chapter 1. Verse 17, here's a simple truth. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes from the Father of lights. I'm alive today because God kept it, gave it to me. I had breakfast this morning because God provided it. I've got air because he provided. I'm married to the greatest woman on earth. I know he gave me her. I've got beautiful children because behold, children are a gift from the Lord. I've been taken care of because God's been, everything I've got, God gave me. This is where worship begins when I realize I have earned one thing in my life. One, a one-way ticket to the hottest corner of hell. You say, why are you so happy about that? Everything above that is grace. God has been good to me. I got the greatest church. Do you think I deserve this church? Absolutely not. Everything I've got came from where? The father of lights. Every good thing comes from above. That puts you in a grace mode. Let's go a little bit further with this. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's nail this down because we're struggling with this in our land. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And God's going to ask you a personal question about you and everything you've got. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. I watch these words. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. Who, who makes you differ from another? If you've got a nice home and somebody else is living in a mud hut, who made that happen? If, you, if you've got a great family, who made that? Who makes you different from anybody else? Let's follow a little bit further in verse 7 here. Watch these words. What do you have that you did not receive? Tell me what you have that God didn't give you. Take a wild guess. Everything I've got, he gave me. And then he said, then why do you boast as though you didn't receive it? Every person is going to have one of two attitudes. God has been good to me and he's given me everything I've got. Or what's the other attitude? Entitlement. Entitlement attitudes cannot worship God. Can't do it. Got an attitude of grace. Now I want to show you one of the funniest. To me it's funny. Uh, I have this warped sense of humor. But to me this is funny. I want to show you one of the funniest passages in the Bible. In the book of Daniel. Turn over there with me to Daniel. I want to show you what an entitlement mentality is. See if this is you. Of course not. Not in my church. Daniel chapter 4. All right, we're going to read something. This is the most powerful man in the world at that time. 
He had crushed every nation in his region. There was only one nation he hadn't defeated, Israel, and he crushed Israel. And this man was the most powerful ruler and would be equivalent to the president of the United States today. And he was very powerful. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. He was the ruler of the world at the time. And I want you to look at his attitude. I mean, no, attitudes are important. I said, Brother Brian, why do you keep saying the word attitude? Attitudes determine altitudes. Attitudes are everything. All right, Daniel chapter 4. I want you to see what this man did. Daniel 4, 28. Daniel chapter 4, verse 28. If you can find it, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Lamentations, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Daniel, he'll be in there somewhere. If you see Matthew, Mark, Luke, go, get off the off ramp, go back the other way. Daniel 4, 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon, which was the most spectacular city in the world at that time. The king spoke saying, watch his attitude, is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? What's his attitude? How great I am. Everything you see, I did this for myself. I built this great place. And what does it mean for my honor? To me be the glory. This is an entitlement mentality that everything I've got, I gave me. Uh, okay, let's see what our king thinks about that attitude. Are you ready? All right, in verse 31, while the word was still, and by the way, who was he talking to? Nobody. He was there by himself. He was just bragging to himself how great he was. Verse 31, while the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. They shall drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They'll make you eat grass like a cow. Seven seasons will pass over you until you understand the most high rules in the kingdom of men. He gives it to whomever he chooses. What did the Bible say? You didn't do this for yourself. God gave this to you. God gave you everything you've got and everything you're enjoying. He gave you. I wonder if it came to pass. Let's read verse 33. That very hour the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men. He ate grass like a, like a cow. His body was wet with rain. His hair grew like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. Mm, I'd watch that attitude if I was you. However, however, in his great kindness, our Lord is merciful. In his great kindness, after seven seasons, a period of time, God bowed down and said to him, would you like to rethink this thing about who is great and who is not? And Nebuchadnezzar humbled himself and he said, I've learned something here. And he changed his attitude. I want you to look at this attitude. Look at his new attitude in verse 37. And now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and worship the king of heaven, all of whose works are truth, his ways are justice. Watch this. And those who walk in pride, he knows how to knock the starch out of their britches. I love this passage right here. What this man had his chest bowed out. I am great. I've earned all this. I've done all this. And God took away everything he gave him and it changed his attitude. What was his new song? God is great. He's given me everything I've got and he's been kind to me. Dear ones, listen to me. It always begins with an attitude and you're going to have an attitude that says everything I've got, God gave me. You can't worship God. Oh, you can stand in the church and sing. You can't worship God till your heart realizes everything I've got, he gave me. 
And so we want to adopt an attitude of grace. It always begins recognizing the kindness of God to me. Secondly, worship is rooted in gratitude to him for his kindness. Now, that man who'd been healed of leprosy, what, what did he do? He wanted to give God thanksgiving because of what he'd done for him. The Bible said this in Psalm 118. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Does anybody know the rest of it? Because he is good and his kindness endures forever. Why would I give thanks to him? Because of his goodness, his mercy is rooted in it. Listen, listen to me. When somebody says worship, we think about music. That is wrong. It's not about music. You can worship without music. Many times we reach a place to where we actually start worshiping worship. All worship is gratitude to the king. And it always goes back to him. It begins realizing God has been good to me. And what's the second part? And I want to thank him for what he's done for me. Worship is simply to thank God and to praise him and to honor him for his goodness to me. It's not about the music. It's not about the style. It's not about going to a great worship event. Most of our worship should be in private. Most of our worship, 90% of my worship is between me and him alone. It, it really doesn't work to worship corporately like this unless all of us are worshiping privately and to praise him in private for his goodness toward me. And then the last one, turn back to Luke 17. Let me show you about worship. Luke chapter 17. All right, in Luke chapter 17, God is good to this man. He heals him. And the man realizes the Lord's been good to me and I want to thank him for what he's done for me. All right. And then this is the third part. And this is where people disagree, not with me, with scripture. It's rooted in gratitude. But listen, it always results in expression of gratitude to him. In expression. I'm going to say something. I hope that I don't just see people disagree. I'm going to say something. See what you think about it. Being thankful to God is not worship. You can't be thankful and worship him. You've got to do something. You have to express it. If I don't express my gratitude, it's not worship. Let me ask you a question. That man that got healed and came back, was he thankful? Question, how do you know the other nine weren't thankful? They were thankful. I mean, they were, how many of you know they were glad to be healed? They were grateful for what God has done, but they didn't go back and tell him about it, did they? They didn't go back and worship him. Then if you don't go back and tell him, it's not worship. If you don't express it, it's not worship. It's got to be expressed outwardly somehow. Outward, listen, it's just an outward expression of inward delight. And the Bible tells you and I there's three or four different ways that we can worship God. And I want to say again, if I don't express it, it's not worship. This surprising power. All right, number one, how do, you, how do you worship God? A lot of people always equate it with singing. It's not always singing. You can worship God by speaking. And we worship him with words. I may remember in Luke chapter 2 when there were shepherds on a hillside and an angel, remember this? An angel appeared to them and said, Glory to God in the highest, on earth peace, goodwill to men. I bring you good news of great joy. There's born to you this day a Savior in the city of David. Do you remember that? What happened right after that? And then a multitude of the heavenly host angels appeared with him saying, they weren't singing it. They just stood there and said it. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill to men. They were just speaking the glory of God. There was, I worship God by declaring, you are good and you have blessed me and you've been good to me and I'm thankful for all you've done for me. I praise you for your kindness. I'm not singing, but I am worshiping. 
I'm worshiping God because I'm expressing what he's done for me. So number one, you can speak it. Number two, probably the most common medium is music. We sing unto the Lord. Won't you turn with me? Uh, I just wanted to point out in Luke 17 that the man came back to Jesus, bowed in front of him and spoke to him. And did he sing to him? He didn't sing at all, but did he glorify God? Jesus said, this man has come to glorify me. Turn with me to Psalm 95. You know we're going to get into Psalms in a few weeks, for a few weeks here. I love the Psalms. Let me point something out to you. There's a reason that the book of Psalms is the biggest book in the Bible, and it's right in the middle of the Bible. The worship of God should be central in your life. It should be the biggest part of what we do. I love Psalm 95 as I do so many of them. And the Bible says this in Psalm 95, verse 1. O come, let us what? Sing. I want you to read it carefully right there. O come, let us sing about the Lord. Is that what it says? Where did I mess up? To him. If I stand up and sing about the Lord to you and you go, amen, I haven't worshiped. What do I have to sing? I have to sing it to him. I think it'd be a great idea if we did a big mock plastic microphone about that big around and about 10 feet long and put it right up there so folks would always remember, this crowd up here is not singing to y'all and you're not singing to them. We all singing unto the Lord. Let us sing to the Lord. If it's not to him, it's not worship. If I sing and that song touches your heart because that was grandma's favorite song, that just, that's nostalgia. That's not worship. Worship, has, I have to point my heart toward God and sing to him for it to be worship. I got to sing straight to him. Oh, come let us sing to the Lord. And uh, if you, a lot of folks don't have this part in their Bible, but it's in mine. Oh, come let us sing to the Lord. Let us be reverent. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. And it's not because we just going to scream and holler at church. Friend, the Bible has exclamation marks about worship. Will you, will you entertain me for just a minute here? Of course you will. What else are you going to do? Entertain me for just a minute here. A lot of people say, well, I'm not that type. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Everybody going to worship something. We'll go to a football game and scream and holler and celebrate a bunch of convicts carrying a pigskin across a white line. Ed McMahon, of course, he can't do it now because he died. That's hard to do after you did. Shows up at your door with a check for $5 million. You'll slobber all over him and scream and holler. Do I need to go on here? The creator of this universe poured out his life so I could live. Pardon me if I want to make a joyful shout to the Lord. Let me point something out. A lot of people get nervous when they say, well, they're, they're getting out of order in church. Whose order? We are so scared of getting out on a limb, we had not even got up to tree good yet. I want to ask you a question. Luke chapter 17, the man came back and with a loud voice fell down giving glory to God. That'd make a lot of people nervous. Don't look to me like it made Jesus nervous. Look to me like he liked it. Yes. <laughs> Worship is for God. It's not for me. It's not for Aunt Fanny. It is for God. I've had people say to me, well, I don't like the music in your church. It ain't your party. 
I started to say I'm not being as smart like I guess I am. Listen to me. It's not your party. Well, these people like this kind of music. That's a song service. That's not worship. We didn't come to say, oh, sing, let us sing to me my kind of music. Let us sing unto the Lord. It is for His glory and His honor and His praise. Oh, I don't say, so, well, do you think the people like this kind of music? Who cares? Does God like worship? That's the issue. We're so misguided in our worship, we don't realize it is all about Him. Matt Redman wrote a great song a few years back that we really, we've gotten warped in this worship thing. And it goes like this. I'm coming back to the heart of worship because it's all about you. And we sing unto the Lord. So I like the old songs. Well, what are you going to do about God saying sing unto the Lord a new song? No, I'm sorry. Sorry, I didn't mean to. I've made you mad enough already. But there was it. We sing unto the Lord. We, we worship Him. Listen to me. It's not about singing the songs. It is about seeing the glory of God and then responding to what He's shown you or done for you. The music is just a medium. It's just a tool to get the message to the man. All right, follow with me here. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder and think about all the worlds your hand has made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, your power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, you are great, how great thou art. It, this is just a tool. When I see the greatness of God, the music is just a tool to get the message to the man. And when I think that God... Very God, his son not sparing, sent him to die. Why? Who am I? I scarce can take it in. On the cross, me, my burden, gladly bared. He bled and died naked and suffered to take away my sin. What's my response to that? Then sings my soul, you are great. It, it's just, it's not about the music. It's about telling them I have seen your glory and I got to say something to you. It's about the heart expressing itself over what it's seen. And listen, music is a great tool. Music maybe the best tool to do it, to worship him and sing him. That's why you got to sort of be careful about the words in your song. Make sure they are to him and they glorify him. I, we're not going to have a music service. We're going to have a worship service. He is worthy of praise and glory and honor. And then the third way the Bible, you know, you can do it through speak it, you can sing it. The third way the Bible says we worship him is physically. The Bible talks about physical worship. We're in Psalm 95. Look with me. Psalm 95, verse 6. Oh, come, let us worship. How many of you believe we ought to worship? Tell me what God is seeking. Tell me what he's seeking. Worshipers who will worship him in spirit and truth. Look at Psalm 95, 6. Oh, come, let us worship. And what? bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. You can physically worship God. All through the Bible, it talks about physical worship. What does it say here? You can bow before God. You can kneel before God. The Bible said this, clap your hands, all ye people. Shout to the Lord of the voice of triumph. I would that men prayer were lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. All through the Bible, people prostrated themselves. In Luke chapter 17, what did the man do to express his gratitude to God? What did he do? He fell down on the ground before God. I've had people say, well, Brother Brown, if, if I had leprosy and he did that for me, I'd probably fall down too. He did something bigger than that for me. Amen. All leprosy can do is kill your body. The sin that was in my soul was going to send me to hell forever. 
Jesus said, do not fear him who destroys the body. Fear him who destroys body and soul in hell. My sin was going to send me to hell forever. Jesus died naked. I'm not going. It is right to worship him and fall down and praise him because of his goodness. You can worship God. You don't have to sing a song to worship him. In our first service, in that, that first auditorium we built, we had to borrow money to build it, several million dollars. And uh, we borrowed the money. And I remember the day I'm sitting in the office when the mail came in and in the mail was the, the uh, deed to that property. And on the front was stamped, paid in full. And I took that deed and went over in that auditorium. Nobody in there turned on the lights and went right there and laid that deed on the floor. And I just laid down and spread out before him and praised him and thanked him saying, you did this. To God be the glory. And you can, you can worship God physically like that. But here's the point again. There's got to be some expression for it to be worship. All through the Bible, you never see anybody claiming to worship him that there was not an expression. Spoken, sung, <clears throat> whatever. Somehow you got to get it out there. All right. Turn back to Luke chapter 17. This is break your Bible and dig in. I want to show you two of the greatest revelations that God's ever given me. And they're in Luke chapter 17. I do not understand. I, stay, I, I am amazed at him. But here's two of the great revelations about God in this passage. All right. You got these guys that are dying. They got leprosy. God didn't know them a thing. He didn't know them anything. Just in his kindness, he healed them. He didn't know me a thing either. In his kindness, he forgave me, saved me, healed my life, redeemed me, gave me friends, gave me a wife, gave me a family, gave me health. God's been good to me. <clears throat> he didn't know that to me. He didn't know these guys healing, but he healed them. And they, God came back and bowed down and worshiped him and praised him dramatically in a way that would bother people in most churches in our land, but did not bother God at all. He seemed to like it to me. But here's the two great revelations I want you to see out of this. Number one, God sees. God sees. Did you notice Jesus said, where were the nine? Did, did only one come back to give me thanks? Where are the nine? God sees it when people come to worship him. God sees it when people lift their hearts to him in thanksgiving and praise. I start every day with thanksgiving and praise. I start every day worshiping God. That's why we're here today. We want to start our week. The first thing we want to do in a new week is come and worship God. And it's, it's man's first response to God is to worship him. How many of you believe God sees people that come and worship him? How many believe he sees it? When I lift my heart and say, this is the day you've made and I'm thankful. I praise you and thank you that I'm alive today and I got healthy. How many of you think he sees that? What does the scripture teach right there? I listen to these words. Where are the nine? Where are the nine? He's not mad. You don't hear anger in there. He's just wondering, have I not been good to you? And you, you didn't come back and thank me? God notices when people don't worship. He's not mad. It's just sort of like, I gave you all that and I can't get a thank you. All right, here's the great revelation. I don't understand this, but I believe in scripture. The heart of God is touched when I worship him. I said, Brother Brian, 8 billion people on this planet. He's running the universe. And when I bow my head in private or lift my hands in private or come into a service like this and worship him, that does something for him? Yeah. Read it. Read it. Jesus healed these men. One of them came back and just, and what did he do? He glorified God. He thanked him. He bowed down before him. And that touched the heart of God. I don't understand this. Ask me if I want to bless the heart of God. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Now, when my kids were just a little tiny, they couldn't do anything for me. They didn't have any money. 
They, even the Lily couldn't even help around the farm or anything. I didn't want them to. I don't want a thing from my kids. I had my kids to be good to them and love them. I don't need anything from them. But when one of them would come up and kiss me or love me or tell me they loved me, ask me if that did something to the heart of a father. Our father, which art in heaven. Hey, can I ask you a question? What are you going to give him? I want to give the Lord something. What do you, I'll give him my money. <laughs> He's loaded. He really doesn't need your money. You need to give it more than he needs it. He just, well, I'll, I'll serve the Lord and preach to these goats. You and the goats both need relief. He doesn't need me doing He doesn't need anything from me. Listen to what the Bible said in Isaiah 66. Heaven is my throne. Earth is my footstool. Where's the house you could build for me? What's the one thing I can give him? A heart of gratitude and praise for who he is and what he's done, period. That's about the only thing I can give him. All right, years ago, uh, I think my little girl was, one of my little girls was four or five years old. I came in that evening. We we're building the house we're living in now. And I came in and she said, sit down, sit down, sit down. Wanted me to sit down on the couch. And she'd written a song for me. And uh, sit down, sit down. So she'd go right back and sing it. So she bowed herself out there. And she read back and sang this song for me. I think she was four, maybe five. I'm not sure. Remember, She sang this song for me. Now, I, I was a musician before I was a pastor. So let me just say this. And she's here today, so I'm going to be nice. <laughs> the meter was not right. It was off key. The timing was not good. It didn't rhyme. What else bad can I say about that song? <laughs> let me put it this way. Simon Cowell would have eat her. I loved it. Get it? I loved it. She wrote that song and she sang it to her daddy as an expression of her love for him. I don't care about the timing. I don't care about the tone. I don't care about the meter. It is the heart. It's the heart. Now, some people say, well, I don't have a very good voice. You're missing it, man. Are we so warped that we think it's a performance? It's not about the voice. It is the heart that worships God and honors him and, and it touches his heart. He hears it. When I get up every morning, first, my first thing every day is thank God, praise him for his goodness and his grace and his mercy. This is the greatest habit and practice of life you'll ever get into is to become a what? Tell me what God's looking for. Worshippers who will worship him in spirit and in truth and let the Holy Spirit lead him in worship and worship him in truth. It's the great thing that he's looking for. You were created to worship. You have a heart of worship. You say, I don't worship. Yes, you do. Every human being worships something. Go to the ACC tournament. You'll watch worship. I saw a country music concert on TVs passing by. They're out there waving their hands. What are they worshiping? Everybody, our hearts by nature are going to worship something. We're going to express our excitement about something. Make it the one who created everything. Make it the one who loves you like nobody else loves you. Make it the one who has given you everything you've got. Oh, come let us worship the Lord. And as you'll see in weeks to come, worshiping has such a profound effect on you like nothing else. It'll heal your mind. It'll heal your soul. It'll set you free from bondage. It'll protect you from sin. It'll protect you from darkness. It'll heal your body. Worship has an effect on people. To become a true worshiper has a tremendous effect on people. It is the greatest privilege. Listen, of all the things I get to do, 
Preaching's not the big deal to me. Worship is the big deal to me. To be allowed to worship the living God is the greatest honor of my life, always will be. But I'm a criminal young man, a heathen. I got saved. And, uh, you know, when I got, I got saved, I had to lay aside certain music, and I needed to. So, you know, Black Sabbath does not bring glory to the Lord. That was my group at the time. And I had to learn brand new music. And it wasn't just that I got new music. I got to get this into y'all. It is not about the music. It is about the heart. And the first song I ever learned when I got saved, first song I ever sang in church, to me is still the greatest song ever written that captures the heart of worship like no other song. How can I say thanks for the things you've done for me? Things so undeserved, yet you proved your love for me. The voice of a thousand angels could not express my gratitude. All that I am or ever hope to be, I owe it all to thee. To God be the glory great things he has done that is worship it doesn't have to be fancy you you can make it up whatever you do but this heart has got to glorify God we were created for that forever I'd ask you this question I'm going to ask it again are you a worshiper God is looking for worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth it is the only eternal practice we engage in right now that we're going to do forever How about let's give him what he's looking for in this house. Father, I pray, make this a house of praise. Make it a house. When Jesus went in the temple, he tore it up and straightened it out. He turned it into a house of purity and prayer and power and praise. Make this the house of your worship. Make this the house where Jesus is glorified forever. The greatest privilege of my life after all you've done for me is to bow before you and to say thank you and to praise you. The joy of my life is worship. I meet you in worship like nothing else I do. There's not a person in this room who has not been blessed by the living God. And I pray in Jesus' name, if we're behind on our praising, we can catch up and worship you and honor you for who you are. Dear God, deliver this house from time to go to church. That's hip music. They sing real good. Deliver us so that this is the house of your glory where Jesus alone is glorified and praised and honored forever and ever and ever. Build the house of praise in this place. I trust you for that. Friend, if you're sitting here today and you're not a worshiper, you're not even a child of God. It comes a point in everybody's life where they have to be confronted with the cross of Jesus Christ. I've got good news for you. You are a sinner and you have sinned against God and you're in trouble. The good news is God loves you more than you've sinned against him. And the cross of Jesus can take away your sin and make you a child of God. But you've got to make a decision. You've got to decide, am I going to live for me or am I going to live for Jesus? Which one is it? You can come to Jesus today. You can become a child of God and trust him as your Savior and Lord. The Bible said, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you want to do that? Seated right there where you're at, I want you to humble yourself. You can be like King Nebuchadnezzar and think, man, I am great. Or you can humble yourself like that leper and say, God has been good to me. If you want to accept Jesus as your Savior, let's pray together right there where you're at from the heart. Say, dear Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died on a cross in my place, my place. 
but I believe you rose again from the dead because you are almighty God. I ask you to forgive me of my sins and I confess them before you. I am a sinner and I ask you to forgive me and I turn and I come to you today and receive you as my Savior, my Lord and the love of my life. I receive you today, dear Jesus. I trust you to receive me by your promise. I'm going to follow you from this day forward. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for speaking to me. Thank you for saving my soul forever. And I pray this in the name of Jesus, strong son of God, precious name of Jesus. Amen.